What's up, everybody, and welcome. It's finally happening. We are doing our first book club podcast. Feels good. Feels good to finally be here. I am Chris. Joining me is Ross. He's the other person who read the book. So just a quick little rundown. We talked about this a while ago when we first came up with the idea for the book club. Uh, essentially every month we're going to pick a book right now. There's going to be a lot of Halo. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be you mostly to... based off video games. Yes. Uh, you know, maybe with rare exceptions in the future, but primarily based in the video game space. Um, but we're going to read a book and we've decided that the first Sunday of every month will be the podcast. So you have until the first Sunday of each month to read the book. Listen to the podcast. Uh, we have plans for growing this in the future, depending on, you know, how many people read the book with us. Um, so, you know, if you guys are listening, great. You know, throw, throw, throw some love on the site so we know you're out there. But um, let's get right into it. This month's book, Halo, The Fall of Reach. And before we actually get into it, since, since this is the first book we're doing and since we're going to be doing a fair amount of halo books why don't we just give a quick background and kind of our introduction into the halo universe i think it was halo one <laughs> fair enough and and it just and i assume you liked it enough to where you eventually one day read the books yeah so here's the thing like halo was immediately captivating for me because i was big into space especially when i was younger and, you know, this big soldier guy, you know, it was, it was a generic, there were so many like generic military shooters. And then like Halo comes out and it's got these characters that I liked. It's this big, like developed world. Like I was interested in what was going on. Halo as a game was really good about giving information about its world without lore dumping all over the place. So, like, Halo had a very natural way of kind of presenting its story and its universe. And then when I found out there was a book I could read, as somebody who didn't like reading all that much as a kid, I read the Halo book. Like, I sought it out and was like, I need this in my life. Mm -hmm. So, that that's, that's how it went for me. And then once I liked the first one, I just kept reading them. My mom wanted me to read books. So, when I told her, hey, I want this Halo book, she was like, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. You want a book? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, for me, my introduction was actually uh, it was the multiplayer of Halo Two. Um, when the first Halo was released, I did have an Xbox, um, but I wasn't old enough to where my parents would buy me M-rated games, even though the Halo games are the softest M in the industry. Uh. So I started off playing Halo 2 at my friend's house, and then eventually uh, I got my hands on Halo 1, absolutely adored it, um, and from then on out I just, I was fascinated with the universe uh, as well, and um, the book The Fall of Reach actually was released before Halo 1 was released, um, and was released by, um, and written by uh, someone at Microsoft, and not actually Bungie, the creators of the franchise. So that would, as time would go on, um, the books, uh, the expanded universe and Bungie would kind of butt heads, uh, somewhat, um, which was a point of contention, which now is not, uh, with 343, 
and how uh, they're very big into transmedia and books and comics and television shows and all that stuff. So um, it was, it's interesting. I think I wrote an article about kind of lore and I think almost positive Halo has the most books out of any video game franchise in history. I would have to assume. Pretty comfortable saying that, so. Yeah. I mean, they're um, releasing new books every year, it seems. Yeah, they're releasing two or three a year, I feel like. Um, yeah, like... So, so yeah. So that's kind of a brief intro to our histories with Halo and a brief kind of history of the book itself. But um, do you want to get started? Yeah, let's get right into it. Um, so the book, again, is The Fall of Reach. So this is, this is effectively the beginning of what we know as the halo timeline. So this is where it all begins. Uh, and uh, like, Oh, sorry. One other thing we will do our best not to spoil future things. Cause since we do want to actually tackle all the books, um, we should try not to spoil everything. Right. Um, so we're going to avoid future details. We can go as detailed as we want on this book. Yes. Especially as of this book, this was the earliest in the timeline at the point of release for sure. Yes. Um, so if we talk about anything that's in a book that's set before this, then, you know, I, I, I can't help you with that. No. Uh, <laughs> um, so we start off in this book and we're introduced to two characters right away. And one of the things I really like about, uh, Eric Nyland is the author of this book. And I went on to become a big fan of his, uh, because he, I feel like his books to this day are arguably still the best in the Halo book series. Um, he has a lot of detail in his writing without like getting too detailed. Like he will always tell just enough without rambling, you know? So he gets into the details on these two people, uh, Jacob keys, uh, who I, this is kind of a spoiler for the future, but he is anybody who has played halo knows who captain keys is. Um, but at this point, he is a junior grade. Like, I don't think that's a spoiler for anything. No, no, keys, no. You know what that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And Dr. Catherine Halsey. And at this point, Jacob Keys is a junior grade officer. I think he was recently demoted, if I remember correctly. <laughs> or he was in trouble. He, I know he was in trouble. Yeah. He was, uh, he was a rogue element a little bit. You know, he, he, he had a history of kind of disobeying orders for the you know, to, to, to his crew's benefit, but, uh, he was kind of on the outs with the UNSC. So he was really confused as to why he was escorting this VIP Dr. Halsey, uh, to Eridanus two. Uh, so they're on this ship and all Halsey will tell him is we're going out to inspect a candidate for something. Mm, and, and he's, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, and, and right away, uh, you get a sense of the relationship between Keys and Halsey with, you hear some of Keys' inner monologue um, along the lines of, I'm not used to taking orders from civilians, as and Halsey is incredibly confident and giving the shuttle and the AI on the shuttle orders so fast, to, it, it's to make it a point that Halsey is so smart that the AI actually has to pause when and think for a split second um, of all the orders that she's throwing at it. So, Nyland does a very good job at just introducing key core character traits kind of right off the bat for both of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so, like, it, it and it, it's really cool 
because these are characters who become more involved later in like the Halo franchise and things like that. So, you know, when you see them later and you kind of have this context, it, you know, you, you get to understand parts of them that you don't get to see in the game, which is nice. But we're going to Eridanus 2 to identify a potential candidate for what is effectively going to become the Spartan 2 program. We all know what Spartans are. Turns out, first candidate, he's known for his luck, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, if I remember correctly. He goes by correct. the name of John. More on him later. Yeah. But, uh, he's a pretty I, minor character, all things considered. Yeah. You know, he's got nothing on that Master Chief fellow. No, not at all. <laughs> but um, Halsey and uh, Keys, they're pretending to be parents looking at this school. Like, they're thinking of moving there. Oh, yeah, we want to see how the school is before we enroll our child. Uh, they've got this great cover because, you know, Halsey's working with the Oni spooks. So they can do whatever they want. And they find this this bunch of kids. They're playing King of the Hill. They're fitting for Halo. Mm -hmm. um, and there's this one kid at the top, just like, just juggernauting these kids, throwing them down the hill, just unstoppable. This kid is just incredible. And that's John. And so Halsey approaches him. Uh, and, and John notices her, and they start talking a little bit. And he notices she has like this coin. And she's like, hey, you know what? gonna flip this coin and you know if you call it in the air you can keep it and she flips the coin and as it's in the air he calls it and catches it he's right he gets the coin she doesn't know if he could just see the coin spinning and figured out how it was gonna land or if he's just that lucky mm -hmm. but he is now the first official confirmed candidate for the spartan 2 program yeah, and it was a mix of just his kind of inherent physical traits that they saw from the King of the Hill game, and also it, that's one of the differences between the later on there was an animated version of kind of a little bit of this book released, um, and it's a small difference but kind of a big one um, at the same time where the coin flip section in the animated series, he just calls it, he never grabs it, where in the book he grabs it and it's kind of this symbolization of he makes his own luck and by just grabbing it out of the air and calling it himself. Um, but yeah, so John's the first candidate. He's a six year old boy on this colony world. And uh, th that's, that's all it is. I think um, the year is 2517, I believe, because I think he was born 2511. So so yeah yeah um oh and i think there was a prologue we forgot to talk about oh I yeah that's not super important uh not not super important no no it's just like hey spartan stuff yeah. um so <clears throat> we move on from here so halsey and keys are going around there inspecting these candidates and keys doesn't again doesn't really know what's going on he kind of has suspicions as to what's happening but he yeah. knows better. He's a career, you know, Navy guy, and he knows better than to stick his head where it doesn't belong, especially mm. when it involves Oni. 
yeah, Oni who are in the Halo universe, kind of the clandestine, shady, behind-the-scenes government yeah, uh, Office agency. of Naval Intelligence. Yeah, yeah, they're super shady. Yep. So, we go on, and in the next section, we get introduced to the other Spartans. So, John is picked, and, and there is... Essentially, what they do is they pick these kids, and I believe there is 75 kids mm-hmm. at the start. Yes. So, what they do is they make clones of these children, body doubles, and they replace them. They go in overnight, they kidnap the kid, and they replace it with the clone. And the clone is designed to die an early death. So, yeah. Yeah. they, the parents, none the wiser, they have this clone of their child who will soon die. And the parents mm-hmm. just think, oh no, you know, my gifted child, something was wrong, now they're dead. Yeah, it's it's messed up. <laughs> it's real messed up. <laughs> Which gives you the perfect idea of what lengths Oni is willing to go to to accomplish their goals. Mm-hmm. So we have these 75 Spartans, and we have Chief Petty Officer Mendez, who is their trainer. So very limited numbers of people are actually aware of what this program is. Yeah. Very hush hush because the last thing the UNSC and Oni wants is for people to hear, Hey, so we're kidnapping these kids. Yeah. And kind of what's going on at this time and, um, is a war between, it's a civil war between the inner colonies and the, outer colonies also known as the insurrectionists um uh just from a matter of distributing resources uh security all that kind of stuff the colonies closer out or further out from earth and uh and the rest of the inner colonies feel like that the unsc and the governments of earth are doing them wrong so um they basically split off and seceded um, so th- there's a civil war going on right now, which is kind of the backdrop and the purpose of what the Spartans were recruited for. Yeah. So, yeah, in, in essence, they're building these super soldiers to, they want to fight insurrectionists and they want an mm-hmm. elite team that can just go in and deal with things that the Marines can't, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. They have these kids, and basically on the first day, they're split into these groups, and they're sent on an obstacle course. And they're told, whoever comes in last doesn't eat tonight. The last team to finish doesn't eat. So, John is paired with two others. uh, Kelly, and was it Sam? Uh, I believe it was Sam. Oh, that's going to bother me now. I don't know if it was Sam. We're going to assume it's Sam. No, it it was not Fred. Yeah, it was Sam. I, Fred came later. Um, <laughs> so it was Samuel 034 and Kelly 087. John is, you know, what's his number? It's an important one. Hmm. I think it was 117? One, it, insignificant. Yep. 1337. Got it. Yep. Okay. Uh, so John runs out. He's the first one to finish the course, the first individual person, but the other two come up last. So even though he won, his team lost. So he doesn't get to eat. And I think he also got hit with a stick. I don't remember if he got hit with the stick that night. 
I can't remember if he got hit with a stick either, but it there was a lot me. of stick hitting, electric stick hitting. They are not easy on these kids. So they are putting them through this training regimen where they are like, if you mess up, you get beat with an electric baton. If you mess up, you don't eat. And it is just the, like the hardest core program. And these kids are like six and seven. Yeah. Yep. That's seven at the oldest and baseline six. I'm pretty sure from almost all of them. Like, you know, I think back to like the beginning of halo four and I don't think this is, I think, you know, probably what I'm getting into. And I don't think this is spoiler territory for anything, but, and it's something I think Halsey even addresses a little later in the book, but they pick these kids because children are easier to indoctrinate. They, they told them straight up when they first introduced them to the program, they pull them into an auditorium and they say, we've taken you away from your families. You won't see them ever again. And these kids are like shockingly understanding of that. And they're like, we need you to become the best you can be. We need you to become the best soldiers in you know, Earth's military. You need to be the best to fight things that we can't fight and to fight the things we don't know about, you know? So, and she said, not all of you are going to make it. Not all of you will be strong enough to make it through this process, but all of you have to complete it. Yeah, a, a couple of the kids try to get up and their handlers immediately just push them back down, all that kind of stuff right when they first get there. And it's 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 kind of chilling because also they it seems like a lot of these kids are already kind of emotionally numb where there were a few that cried a few that tried to get up but most of them just listened which was interesting yeah sorry for my dog chewing the bone in the background i tried to throw it out of the room multiple times and she just keeps bringing it back she's making a shiv she she makes shivs out of all of her toys it's great I'm going to die soon. She's a prison dog. Yep. <laughs> um, anyway, so they're going through this training. They're going through these classes with this AI. And one of the classes that really sticks out to them is the telling of the 300 Spartans. You know, of Leonidas holding the gap and, you know, fighting and killing thousands of Persians. Uh, that's something that they really like that resonates with them. And they're kind of told, like, this is what you're going to be fitting you know that they're in the spartan program that's one of the first things they learn but they are not only being trained to be physically capable but mentally capable their class activities include like math and science like you'd expect because they need to be able to think quick they need to be able to figure out how to you know track the distance how to compensate for wind and gravity and things like that they need to be able to run these complicated calculations in their heads but they're also being trained on tactics, great generals, great military leaders through history, uh, and how they were able to overcome odds and terrible situations or lead these, you know, intense fights. So it, they are truly being trained to be these incredibly capable soldiers, but it goes beyond that. So there's this big training mission that takes place. Uh, they're all on reach right now. And they get, these Spartans are kind of let loose in the woods and they have pieces of a map 
and they need to work together to put the map together and figure out how to get back to the base. And if they don't make it back, nobody's coming to save them. So they figure out, and then they find this dropship that's being guarded by these armed guards. They've got their batons, and like they don't care if they hurt these kids. So the Spartans are working together, and they're like, okay, we're going to send a group this way to do this. We're going to send a group this way to do that. You're going to run decoy. You're going to get their attention. You're going to lead them back to these points. When they get to these points, we're going to ambush them with rocks. So they beat up these train, already trained and established soldiers, beat them up, bloody pulp, steal the dropship, fly it back to the base. Well, and, and also part of the thing with those armed guards is that they weren't in uniform. So the kids, they weren't 100% sure if it was necessarily part of the training because they were having conversations like, these guys aren't in uniform, or is this part of the exercise? But they just went ahead and did it anyway. Yeah, and, and, and this is kind And John of also, made it sure he was the last one on. Yeah, John really starts early on. He, after, after the incident with the first day with the obstacle course... He really kind of takes it upon himself to take on more of a leadership role. And he's just like, okay, I'm going to be the last one now. I'm not, mm -hmm. you know, it's better to be last than first in some scenarios. It's right. not always losing to be last. So he kind of starts, you know, the, the other Spartans, you know, it, it's natural that they would look for a leader. And John really takes up that role and mm -hmm. is is the respected leader of the group. And I think after this mission... Doesn't, isn't that when he gets promoted to a squad leader? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Yes. So he get he becomes a squad leader right there because they're like, okay, you know, he told you to do the, okay, promote him. You know, mm. that's what, I think it was Halsey, like, he, Mendez reports to her what happened, and she said, promote him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, now, they start to undergo, they've already done the classroom work, they've already done some of the physical work, but now, part of the program is intense a biological augmentation. So the Spartans yeah. need oh, to be man. stronger, not just physically, but they need to be built stronger. They, they have their bones hardened so that they cannot break. Uh, they have their reflexes enhanced. Like they do, they do surgery to these kids that will enhance them beyond anything a normal human could strive for. Yeah, yeah. I actually have the list of augmentations up, and oh, just the fact that this is happening to kids is crazy. You want to run through some of them? Yeah, so one is the occipital capillary reversal. So this is a surgery on the brain. Um, the surgeon performs a procedure on the capillaries uh, to reverse the direction of blood flow in each one to boost the blood flow um, uh, beneath the rods and cones of the subject's retina. Uh, which increases uh, ability to see in the dark, uh, sensitivity to light and color, and speeds up uh, the rate at which the brain can um, process what the eyes are seeing. So increased reaction time. Um, and then what you were talking about, the carbide ceramic ossification, uh, where uh, an advanced carbide ceramic material is grafted onto the skeletal structure. Um, let's see... Uh, make yeah, making the bones unbreakable. Catalytic thyroid implant. Um, it's a they inserted a pellet into the thyroid gland that uh contains growth hor human growth hormone 
and it's released in the body, which is why uh, at those who survive the augmentation and generally end up being about seven feet tall. Yeah. Um, because they, because of this, um, muscular en- enhancement injections, pretty self-explanatory, um, and superconducting uh, fibrification of neural dentites, um, which add a 300% increase in subject reflexes. Um, and they also have all the risks here as well. Like for that last one, uh, there's a 12%, uh, 12% of subjects can contract Parkinson's disease, uh, for the muscular enhancement, 5% of test subjects experience a fatal cardiac uh, volume increase. Uh, for the retinal one, 11% of subjects could face retinal rejection and detachment causing permanent blindness. Like, these were very high-risk invasive procedures. Yeah, um, to, to the point that of the original 75 Spartans, less than half emerged still fit for combat. 33, I believe. Yeah. yeah. And the rest were either died or were considered washouts where um, maybe they they could no longer walk and they would find a reassignment uh, to a position in Oni and more of an intelligence-based position. Yeah, so the um, ones that could still be utilized, like some of them, you know, they, they lost physical functionality but mm-hmm. maintained the mental augmentations. So right. they could still be valuable assets for intelligence. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of them, you know, maybe lost some of their mental facilities, but could still be used for more physical labor. Or is it faculties, I think it is, is supposed to be the word? The mental faculties? Yeah, mental yeah. faculties. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry, I said the wrong word. Um, but, you know, so they could still be used for other programs. I think, like, didn't one or two of them just get enrolled into the regular military? <laughs> I think so. And there's there's books uh, in the future that go into some of the washouts and the stuff like that, which we'll get yeah, to. But I, I think a handful of them, like, just their bodies, like, completely rejected the procedures, but they, like, came out mostly okay. So they were just, mm. like, put them in the regular military. Rank and file. Mm. Yeah. You know? So, mm. And it's like, it's whatever. They're not going to notice. You just cover it up. You just put their file, put a special thing on their file. Nobody asks any questions. You got some, yeah. you got some good Marines out there. Uh, yeah, right. And this is... Uh, God, you needed good Marines, man. Yeah. I and then no idea yet. for the recovery, um, the recovery process, they actually kept all the Spartans on a ship called the UNSC Atlas, um, which kept them off planet and just kept them isolated where there'd be no distractions or no uh, other opportunities to get in the way of them recovering from their surgery. And uh, that's where one of probably my most iconic scenes in yep. the history of the Halo franchise comes into play. Yeah. Do, and, do you want to talk about this one? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so John goes, um, he's back up and walking. Um, so he's going to the gym in the Atlas. Um, and the and now gym mind is, you, this is a, this is a commingled ship. So the Spartans yeah. are there, but they don't, I think only the captain is really aware that the Spartan program is there, but the other troops on the ship are regular, like Navy and Marines. So they have no clue what these kids are doing there. They yeah. I don't think, I'm not even sure if they know they're there or not. Um, I'm not sure. I, th- because the, there are orbital drop shock troopers on the ship. Um, and those are basically like the, the Navy SEALs of the Halo universe, I guess, if there's way an equivalent. Cooler. I mean, um, yes, maybe not, maybe the, not way but, cooler, but. <laughs> so they basically, um, 
get launched from Hell orbit in a, in a pod through the Earth's atmosphere and land and jump out. It's like paratroopers to the get, extreme. They get dropped in a metal coffin, and if they don't make it, they're already buried, and if they do, they fight. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so John goes into this gym on the ship, and it's a circular chamber. Um, where as the further you go in, the I think the heavier the gravity gets. There's artificial gravity here for training purposes. My dog is chewing on the bone again. I can't stop it. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're going to have to edit that. Um, I'll edit what I can. Yeah. Um, but so he goes in and he starts uh, lifting weights and he feels like they're too light. So he feels like something's wrong. Um, so he goes a little bit deeper in and he starts lifting he's like oh that feels better uh but to kind of test it he he took a pin out of uh the the barbell on like i believe the bench press and he dropped it and it seemed to fall in slow motion which is a sign that the augmentations are working and his reaction time and his reflexes are like slowing down and seeing everything just in slow motion so drops the pin he's still kind of confused he walks away continues to work out then four ODSTs walk in, and one of them starts benching, and there's no pin, so the weights fall off. They get mad, and so they start to fight John. And that's a mistake. Yeah. So big mistake. John. John at this point still isn't entire like 100% used to his body after all of the changes. So the ODSTs pick a fight. Um, John ends up killing two of them pretty, pretty fast and very badly injuring the others um, until eventually Mendez shows up um, to break it up and to pull John away. And it's kind of like hinted at that. Well, John suspects the, it from the start, I think. Like yeah. Once he sees the, Mendez. Yeah, that the ODSTs were planted to kind of test him and see if the augment, see the effectiveness of the augmentations. Yeah, I, I I bet you Mendez sent them in. Like, hey, guys, go work out real quick. Yeah. You know? And then I think it was the captain of the ship. He was with Mendez, and he came in. He's like, that's one of those Spartans, isn't it? And he's just mm. kind of like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, and and this, this event is the main crux as to why the ODSTs have a problem with Spartans moving forward in the franchise. Yeah, because one of them definitely just took on like when you've got a better odds than one to four <laughs> like, yeah and and the one is a 14 year old kid yeah not even 14 at this point probably um yeah so it's an iconic scene yeah uh and then after that the spartans are returned to reach and once again are kind of kept isolated from after this this is like kind of a more public incident and they're like, we can't have this stuff happening. So they're kind of, mm. once again, isolated a bit. Um, but if nothing else, John has proven that, hey, great, thank you, phone. Um, John has proven that, hey, you know what? These augmentations, they don't just work. They work extremely well. Yeah, and there's... And before the next kind of major event, when they do get back to Reach, I forget if it's not... I don't know if it was Halsey who was being driven up to the mountainside facility where they were training. Yeah, someone. I believe so. Um, and so she's she's pulling up and she's like, "So how are they doing?" And Mendez was like, "See for yourself." And they walk in, and there are Marines in kind of these 
bulky exosuits because they have to wear them to not get hurt. Um, and basically they, they say exercise is ready. So they, they shut off the lights. The room goes pitch black and the Spartans move. And I'm pretty sure they're using live rounds. The Marines. Uh, I think so. If I remember so, correctly, yeah. they are using live ammunition. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Lights go pitch black. Um, they hear a lot of action. Lights go up. The exosuits are, like, crushed. The guys in the exosuits still get hurt. <laughs> yep. And um, the Spartans accomplished their mission. And yep. it was fast. So. Oh, yeah. So, like... Th- this stuff is working and these mm. i think at this point they're like they are exceeding expectations so oh, yeah. the spartans are now sent on their first official outside of training mission so john along with samuel who has kind of become his best friend at this point um mm-hmm. you know as much as the spartans are trained to be soldiers they become an incredibly tight knit group together like they are family to each other uh Mm -hmm. and you you get some of that like it's hard to really like convey that without like you know read the book (laughs) but um samuel kind of like on the first day was kind of messing with john and he was joking with him because samuel was that kind of personality and through all the augmentations he never really lost it and john Mm -hmm. liked that about samuel like on the first day it kind of annoyed him but at this point, after all they'd been through, Samuel's kind of general disposition was a boon to the Spartans. And so John became very close with him. So they were kind of like the best friends. Um, Linda, who was kind of quiet, a little socially awkward, but just it, very, very capable. Um, Kelly was kind of also a wisecracker. She was also the fastest of the Spartans by, yes. by, by a margin. You know, and yeah. they were all fast, but she was exceptionally so. And she came in as the fastest, and that only got amplified. And Fred, who was a lot like John, but Fred had kind of a Fred had kind of an eye towards it's it's hard to say without like getting into the whole future of Fred. But Fred mm-hmm. definitely took a different path where John definitely is settled. John is not complacent, but he is content with his role that he gets as being like a leader of the team, but being constantly like as the, I want to be at the front of the action. And Fred definitely is more of a, in a leadership direction where it's like Fred wants to be in the front of the action, but Fred wants to kind of have a say in the action. I think that's yeah, fair. It's, yeah. And, and they, during all the training and all the competitions that they do, like John comes out first in most of them, or if he doesn't come out first, he comes up pretty high. Like Kelly comes out top in speed, but in all of the tests, Fred comes in second. Yeah, he's so, the most consistent Spartan, the most well-rounded. Yeah. So Fred is John without the luck. <laughs> I think is yeah. the, the fairest yeah. assessment of him is he is everything John is, but he doesn't have that that intangible luck about him. That 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 the thing that makes John and eventually the Master Chief special. Mm-hmm. Fred just doesn't have that. But he yeah, is and I, I, he is arguably still though the most competent Spartan, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and and he doesn't I don't think 
people are hardwired differently. Some people just don't want to be leaders. And I feel like Fred is one of those people. Um, and also, just because I was curious and I was looking at the stat, uh, Kelly can run 38 miles per hour or 40 miles per hour, depending on if she's in the suit or not. Yeah. So that's Fred, fast. Fred goes on to get a lot of promotions, though. Yeah, because, yeah, because, I mean, John could have gone on to get yeah. a lot of promotions, but he became so iconic and he became such a symbol for the Should we the talk Navy about that... the one thing in the comic? What? <laughs> the one the one line from the comic when he's talking to Lord Hood. Oh, go ahead. Go so ahead. There's, there's this one part, and again, we, we said we weren't going to spoil too much in the future, but we all know the Master Chief. The Master Chief is the iconic thing. That's his rank, but, like, he could be anything, and Lord Hood... In, in a conversation with John uh, in one of the comics taking place after the events of Halo 4, um, he's talking to him. He said, you know, I, it wouldn't take any effort to make you Admiral. You know, you nobody would decline you that promotion. And John kind of quips back and he's just like, I think the Master Chief has a better ring to it than the Admiral. And then mm. Lord Hood is like, did you just make a joke? <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. like, yeah. So he, like, he he knows what he's doing. Like he is effectively the master chief. Might as well carry. You know, he is a special master chief. Like he basically has the authority of an admiral. He could take command of whatever the hell he wanted to. If he wanted to give an order to Lord Hood, Lord Hood's not going to say no. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, and 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 yeah. I think from a rank perspective, Fred ends up being the highest rank. I believe um, but... he goes on to lieutenant commander. I forget how high he gets, but he's definitely the highest rank out of any of the Spartan teams. Yeah, but that's kind of like what I'm getting at is Fred definitely Mm. like has his eye. Like he maybe doesn't want to be the leader of the Spartans, but he definitely has an eye towards leadership. And he Mm. likes to take on a grander role. Like he, he wants to, he wants to play the chessboard. He's more big picture. John wants John, to be John's the like right in like front of John him. wants to be the queen on the chessboard, the most versatile piece. He wants to be the piece that does the most damage. And Fred is kind of the king, you know, he's important and he has arguably maybe one of the most important roles because he wants to control the rest of the board. But, you know, individually, he only does so much in the grander scheme uh, unless he's Mm -hmm. directly involved and he will, Mm -hmm. he will get directly involved, uh, especially a lot later. But anyway, kind of back on the topic. So it's Sam, Linda, Kelly, Fred, and John. So they are sent to capture Colonel Robert Watts, who is the insurrectionist leader in the Eridanus asteroid belt. Uh, if we remember close to home for John, if we remember Eridanus two is where John lived and his double is now super dead. Yeah. Super dead. Yeah. And, uh, on the ship ride up to, um, the base, we get a really good kind of character building scene where they're in like the water tank of this ship and they're all kind of they're sneaking in in an insurrectionist ship, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and they're in the the black bodysuits that you see underneath the Spartan armor down the line, um, that are like stealth suits, and they're all kind of just, uh, kind of hammocking themselves up in the corners of this this water tank room, and you get some really good dialogue and some some good like character moments in there, which I appreciated. Yeah, John kind of comes to terms with the fact that like you know what, I'm never gonna see my parents again, but I'm kind of okay with that because he. Again, like, you know, this plays into Halsey's idea of children are more receptive to indoctrination. 
And you have mm-hmm. to wonder like how much of this is his thinking and how much of it is he was just kind of effectively bred to do this. But he is just like, I understand what my role is supposed to be. And he said, the best way I can protect them is to be exactly where I am right now. Right. So it's right. like, I'm not going to know my parents, but at least I know I'm doing something to keep them safe by doing what I'm mm. doing. Yeah. Uh, so they get in and, and this was something, this is actually the scene I was talking about in the last podcast. If you guys were listening to that one where they basically have to stealth through this facility disguised as like engineers and things like that and sneak their way with limited resources up to capture this Colonel and then exfiltrate with him from this enemy controlled facility. And the way they execute this mission is near flawless. And they're 14. Keep that in mind. Yeah, and they're still 14. (laughs) But they look like adults. Like, they're grown. They look grown. So, like, you know, when they kind of disguise themselves, they get into, like, a a locker room. They steal some uniforms. uh, And they're kind of going through, and they're just kind of trying to keep it natural. They have these bags with the weapons in them, but, like, they don't want to use them if they don't have to. But the way that they, like, assess the situation, they're like, okay, he's up there. If we go here, do this, 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 boom, we get him. It's easy. It's done. And that's exactly how it goes. The way they say the mission's going to go, that's how it goes. Yeah, the only the only hiccup is that uh, Watts, uh, I think, get, Watts or one of his goons gets a shot off at one of the Spartans, and John pushes them out of the way and takes a bullet in the side. Yeah. Um, which... He's fine. They biofoam him up. I love biofoam. Biofoam it's one is of my really favorite. Cool. Whenever anyone gets injured, they just get biofoamed. It's, just, and... it's like this spray can. They they put it in. You anybody who watched the trailer or the the Neil Bloomkamp trailer for Halo Three, the one with like the warthog thing, they biofoam one of the guys in that, and it's just this spray can of really painful foam. It like for like Marines, they cry out in pain, but the Spartans are just like shit. <laughs> yeah, they they spray it. It hardens and it, and just it hardens stops and blood seals loss. The wound. Yeah, temporarily. Yeah. Eventually it goes away, but it's a quick fix until they can get back to a medical center. Especially for a Spartan, that's like all you need, really. The bodies are probably healed by that point. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but yeah, so, you know, he takes that one shot, but that's like drop in the bucket, whatever. They get out. Mm. They get their guy. And they return yeah. him to Oni for questioning. And uh, I'm sure Robert Watts regrets a lot of what he's done uh, by the time <laughs> he's done with Oni. Yeah, because remember, these people stole children. <laughs> Nothing is safe. Nothing is that's, sacred to Oni. That, that's a t-shirt. Oni, these people stole children. <laughs> um, 75 children. Think about it. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> Open your um, eyes, uh, sheeple. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, after that, it is kind of revealed that um, first contact has been made. With an alien race, oh, which John is the was, first. Well, and we should also mention oh, go, go John was yeah. awarded the Purple Heart. Of course. The of first course. of many medals. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in 2525, first 3rd. contact is. 25, yeah. That's, wow, that was a month ago. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, a month ago, 500 years from now. <laughs> yep. Um, first contact is made with an alien uh, species, the first ever contact with aliens. Um, they refer to themselves as the Covenant. Um, they appeared over uh, the farm world of Harvest um, and immediately basically destroyed the planet. Um, what they do is it's called glassing a planet. So they have these super hot plasma beams that they fire down onto the surface that basically turns the ground so hot it melts it into... And, and hardens it. 
yeah, it melts it and hardens it into a glass-like obsidian-type thing, um, which basically renders everything unusable and takes hundreds and hundreds of years for any sort of terraforming efforts to actually even be effective. Which is reasonable because you just basically, like, it's basically, like, it's it's like a purification almost, and it, it and it just like takes away any life providing properties. Like you just like mm-hmm. with that with that superheated level of plasma, there is no soil left. You know, yeah, there is yeah. no and existence left in that. Anything is dead from that. Yeah, and as a teaser for a future book, um, Halo Contact Harvest, there we find out why they glassed it and a whole lot about. Oh my god. Yeah. Chris, I, I came around on Contact Harvest Hard. Okay, I like, hope, I hope the, you as well. L- like, the first third of that book is slow, but then it just goes. Okay. I'm looking forward Did to you know it. The bro- you know the Brute Chopper was an agricultural vehicle at first? I can see it. Yep. Um, it. So, um, so, so, yeah. This, this massive... Oh, oh yeah. sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, so this massive alien threat shows up out of nowhere, um, destroys the entire population of Harvest... Um, there were three UNSC warships to one Covenant ship. No chance. Yeah, so... No chance. Like, these things have, like, a meter of, like, titanium. We're talking a meter. That's more than three feet for Americans, you know? That's that's more than a yard, a football yard. Um, <laughs> of just pure titanium plating. And this plasma is just like... <laughs> and just rips... It's like a hot knife through butter. If that hot knife was plasma and that was still butter, <laughs> you have no yeah. more butter. The butter is gone. Like it's like a, a knife hot enough that you don't have any butter by the time you're done cutting it. It's just gone. Yeah, and and the retaliation by the UNSC ships against the one Covenant ship pretty much amount to nothing because the Covenant ship also has an energy shield. So they couldn't, just... they couldn't even break the shield. Nope, not at all. So. So yeah, the the last of the population that could get off the planet escaped and fled, and um, only one of the ships made it back to Reach. Um, and then later later that year, uh, the UNSC mobilized a huge fleet under Preston Cole, who went on to become very famous, very famous. Um, the Cole Protocol. Of the Cole Protocol, uh, which will come into play. Uh, actually, I think we could probably talk about that now because I don't think. Yeah. This, so, essentially, they they mobilize this massive fleet where I think they outnumber the Covenant they engage like five or six to one. Mm-hmm. He loses more than half of this fleet to yeah. claim victory. So, yeah. what they do though is because so many ships had to retreat and things like that, is he establishes what's called the Pro- Cole Protocol. So they Cole understands that this is an unsustainable fight. They cannot produce ships at the volume required and then crew them to to effectively combat the Covenant. So he says, here's what we have to do. Guerrilla tactics. We need to engage. They find out that their MAC cannons, their magnetic acceleration guns, uh, basically they take a big chunk of something and they launch it at super speeds via a magnetic acceleration launcher. And it, when it impacts, it just like, it like flattens and explodes and it does enough like area damage to 
take down with enough shots to take down a covenant shield which then the next shot hits their hull and is just again hot knife through butter but this is an actual Mm. hot knife through butter so it's not as cool but like Yo, when they go from bow to stern of a of a covenant carrier with just like a hunk a chunk of titanium or something, like that's <laughs> cool. When you just rip out the insides, <laughs> yeah, uh, and um, and so it just pierces through. So the humans are like, hey, you know what? We need to get these these mat guns up and running because these things shred covenant. Um, <laughs> And so he basically says the only way to fight the Covenant is you have to have at least three to one numbers. So they have these big fleets because the Covenant fleets are generally smaller. They've only engaged them in like smaller numbers, like no more than five-ish at a time. And they say, we got to have three to one. We have to retreat and, you know, we got to use the max. We got to take down the shields, hit them, run. Um, And he also institutes the Cole Protocol, which says that any jumps away from the Covenant have to be random because they find out that the covenant ships are also using slip space and that they're also faster in slip space. So and far more, and they can pinpoint far more exact locations. Yeah, than so like humanity can humans can jump and they have to generally come out of slip space early or they risk landing inside of a planet. For example, the covenant can jump to right on the edge of the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. They can jump to the bow of a, of a, of a UNSC cruiser. So yeah. terrifying amounts of accuracy. So he says, look, they're faster than us. And they're more accurate than us. Any jump away has to be a random calculation. You cannot jump to reach and you especially cannot jump to earth. You have to random yeah. jump out, which plays into something that happens you know, towards the end of this book. Um, mm. And then once you have confirmed that you do not have covenant pursuers, you can then orchestrate jumps back to one of the major naval hubs, such as Reach. Yeah, and but if you are in danger of either being boarded or some sort of hacking from a Covenant ship, you have to erase all of your nav data, so there's no way that they can get any sort of coordinates back to Earth. And if there's... If, that you're really in danger of being boarded, you self-destruct the ship. Yeah, so effectively, like, a lot of, like, the top-end warships, I think at this point they are implementing the AIs on them, right? Yeah. Uh, On the the high-end warships? I think so. Or at least some type of intelligence. So humanity has these intelligences, like, uh, you know, not quite Cortanas, but, you know, they have them. They're called dumb AIs compared to smart AIs. But these AIs have (laughs) a ton of data, including where Reach is, where Earth is, how to get there from where they are. So the Cole Protocol is, is, is exactly as he said. You have to wipe all that stuff out or blow up your ship. There is no alternative because they know the moment the Covenant find out where we live, they're going to send everything. Mm-hmm. And there will be no stopping it. Yeah. So humanity has, all, like, they just met the Covenant and their backs are already as against the walls they can get. Yeah. Like, they, just... the, the most they can do is they can do the Homer meme and just fade into the bushes, you know, and hope they don't get noticed. <laughs> but that's how against the wall they are, that they got to go into the wall. Yeah, yeah. So, as a response to the Covenant, um, Spartans' track is kind of advanced faster than originally anticipated. Um, and uh, Dr. Halsey, who is 
again, the mind behind the entire Spartan 2 project, um, who went out and handpicked um, a lot of the uh, candidates, um, takes the Spartans to Kai City, or Kai City 4 to begin the second part of the Spartan 2 program, which is Project Mjolnir. Um, so, but once they, on their way there, as they enter the system, the ship is attacked by Covenant, because why wouldn't, why wouldn't it be? Um, uh, the ship they're on tries to engage it, tries to kind of, uh, just delay it, but takes heavy damage. Um, they end up making it to the, uh, landing on the planet and getting to the testing facility where Halsey kind of shows them the Mjolnir armor, which is the armor that you see Master Chief in, in Halo 1. Um, it significantly, like, it enhances their strength and speed and reaction time and everything. It's entirely unusable without the modifications that they added to it. Yeah, that's, I don't like the animated series of Fall of Reach, but one scene they do very well is that they show a normal human marine getting into the power suit and trying to use it and so the suit is based off of basically um it like in a way links with your mind so you think something there's neural neural pathways that like link to the implants i think in one of the implants in the spartans i think it connects to that which is important for later yeah um so the marine gets in and tries to move his arm and it moves so fast that his arm shatters and the suit itself is like two thousand pounds yeah um, so, um, they were built for these Spartans with, because of their augmentations, they're the only ones able to handle it. Yeah. So they're, they are outfitting the Spartans with the power armor. Um, and they, they decide that they are going to board. John decides we're going to go and board this Covenant cruiser because yep. we have this armor why not use it? So he's like, hey, let's go board this this Covenant ship and fly through space and get aboard and wreck it. Logical. And so they do that, and they take a team with a Havoc nuke on a Pelican, and only three of the Spartans actually manage to get on board. John, Sam, and Kelly. They fight their way past the crew. Uh, this is where we first like meet the jackals and things like that. Uh, and they make their way to the reactor, but unfortunately, along the way, the, the, important to note, these suits don't have shields yet. Yes, they do not is... have the recharging shields. Yes. So it's just the armor, and we already talked about what plasma does to the hull of a UNSC ship. Well, turns out, smaller plasma still does the same thing to smaller plating. And Sam, his armor is penetrated. Which means he cannot EVA off the ship. He cannot leave the vacuum of the ship. He will die from exposure. So he basically says, I'm going to stay behind and protect the nuke. You two need to leave. And John, or excuse me, Sam becomes the first Spartan missing in action. Because as we find out, Spartans don't die. Even though we know Sam is dead. But... Spartans, I think at this point, the program has been revealed? Or is that a little later? Uh, I, I think it's a little bit later. Well, he, Because if they're just getting the armor yeah, now... True. Yeah, nobody's really talking about it yet, I guess. 
But yeah. um yeah, so he is he stays behind and Spartans are never designated as dead. Uh not to get too far ahead of myself, but uh later on when they designate them, they never designate Spartans as dead because the Spartans are held up as like this hope of humanity type figure. And mm-hmm. they're never dead, they're missing in action. So it's the idea yeah. that Spartans don't die. They're just still fighting. We mm. just don't know where, but they're still fighting. Um, so they're always designated missing in action, which is like, that's kind of like, for for a humanity that is like, effectively like, cannot fight effectively in the air, or in space, I should say, the Spartans are dominant in ground combat. Like, yeah. the Spartans are, are a, a scale tipper, you know? Like, people get out alive because of Spartans. And, man, it, we, we'll get into more of that later. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But um, Sam is unfortunately lost to us. And remember, this is John's best friend. And he has to leave him behind. And I think he tries to find a way to get him out, too. Like, John takes the time to try and figure out a way to get him off this ship. Because he does not, Mm -hmm. you know, he doesn't want to leave anyone behind. But Sam is also a close companion of his. And I think John is kind of at the point where they lost so many people to the augmentations. He doesn't want to lose anybody else. Yeah, I mean, there's only... There's only 33 of them. Yeah. 32 now. And those are the only 32 other people who at this point the Spartans can relate to because they're the only people who have gone through everything that they've gone through. Yeah. So they're a dying breed just from the get go. Um, so man, we still have a lot to get through. Um, so, uh, after that, um, they get back, the covenant ship is destroyed. So Sam's death was not in vain. He did take out an entire covenant ship. Um, Next part of the book goes into actually, we jumped again a little bit, goes into the Cole Protocol, which we just talked about. Yeah, I, I read a little ahead. I'm sorry. I thought we were on Oh, that no section. worries. Um, and then, so eventually, uh, Keys, who we haven't seen much of since uh, the beginning of the book. Can I talk about this part? Because this might be my favorite part in the whole book. I'm also um, sending you a JPEG to put in the description. Okay. Can you do that? Yes. Um, it is the keys loop and it's a diagram of what it is. So, but go ahead. So here's what happens. So the keys comes back. Now he's promoted to commander because there's a shortage of effective officers in the UNSC. So as much as the UNSC kind of doesn't like keys right now because of how he is, um, they have promoted him to commander and they've given him command of the UNSC Iroquois, which I believe is a cruiser. Um, I believe. I think it, it has is... to be for what he does with it. Uh, it's a it's a destroyer. It's a destroyer. Okay, still that yeah, destroyer yeah, is still yeah. good. So he it's a destroyer. Mm. So now we're in um twenty five fifty two. So we are in we are now in the proper Halo One year. Halo yes. One is coming. Twenty five fifty two is when that whole thing starts. So. Mm-hmm. He detects what happens is they de- I think it was the guy on the space station and he detects like a whisper and they can't uh, quite identify it it's these I actually like that part yeah It's like these blots I I love like this chapter of the book 
is like so cool because it, it, yeah. it's, it's not about the Spartans and I love the Spartans, but like seeing mm. like how the UNSC is trying to cope with this shit is so cool. So yeah, just as like a one-off chapter, it goes to this guy on this remote sensing station, like remote sensor station. And he just sees these kind of like silhouettes, silhouettes. And then, and, and then which eventually turn into a big problem. So like they're kind of blobbed together and he's like, Hey, you know what? These kind of match the profile of a covenant fleet. And they're like, yeah, but you can't make anything out. This could just be space dust. You know, this could be a cloud of space particles. And he's like, I don't know. And then I feel like, you know, they, they kind of report it, but they're like, we can't confirm it. So, you know, whatever. So keys finds this. And he has one of his officers kind of figure it out. And it's like, you know, this does match up. This could be something bad. It could be as, it could be three ships, you know? Or no, mm. I think they thought it was four ships and it turned out to be three, but one of them was massive. I don't remember how many ships remember. there were. It's, it's, so for, ev- for everyone, for everyone listening, we read this about six months ago when we originally planned to do this. So we are... We're working off of memory and using the um, summary from Halo P. Ross thought we us. already recorded this. <laughs> I genuinely thought we did from how many times I've read the book. Um, and, <laughs> and how many t- anyway, times we talked about so it. So he's like, okay, we're protecting Sig- Sigma Octanus 4. We're the only ship here. We have to assume, you know, or no, I'm sorry. It was thanks to a paper by Fahad084, which was a Spartan who's now working in Oni. So he kind of uses that research because he's aware of it. And so he knows, hey, you know what? I've seen this before. And he pulls it up and he's like, this is a covenant attack group. And they are coming here to glass this planet. So he engages. Oh, no, I'm sorry. There are. Hold on. His action. So there are two frigates with him and a carrier. So he has a small battle group, but nothing that should reasonably take on a Covenant battle group. These Covenant come out yeah. of slip space and attack the planet. And Keys kind of takes, I'm going to send this to you just for helpful visual yeah. reference. Like, again, I'm going off of memory as well, but like, so he positions himself in just such a way that he is between the planet and the incoming Covenant force. And he deploys nukes in this kind of one-off location. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of getting just into the, I'm not getting into the weeds on the full maneuver. You guys can read it. So what he effectively does is he launches these nukes into this area and spends the rest of the battle maneuvering and attacking in just such a way. First, he takes out one of the frigates just in a one-on-one fight, just takes it out, out of commission. Which is incredible to begin with for a UNSC ship to win a one-on-one fight with a Covenant cruiser. But he maneuvers the battle in just such a way that the rest of the fleet ends up on top of these nukes, these Shiva warheads. And he detonates the warheads, takes out their shields, cripples them beyond repair, and just single-handedly defeats a Covenant battle group off of Sigma Octanus. And, like, it's an unprecedented victory. Like, uh, the, uh, the admiral he's reporting to finds out about it. And he's like, I'm sorry, you did what? And suddenly, the story on Keys just completely changes because of the Keys loop and how he does it. 
Doesn't he enter? He enters slip space for like a brief second or something. Is it? <sighs> I'm trying to like read the thing now. No, I don't think he does. I think he slingshots himself around Sigma. He uses the sun. I think he uses like the gravitational sun. He does something crazy. Read the diagram. Like it's crazy. (laughs) I'm looking at it right now and I don't want to take five minutes to like fully understand this so I can explain it to you. Just read the diagram. It's insane. It's an insane maneuver. It is like Picard. It is like the Picard maneuver from Star Trek. There is like I, I I think the reason why they call it a keys loop Picard did a thing where like he did a brief warp jump so he made it look like his ship was in two places at once to beat like a, mm. a another enemy ship and so mm. it, like the Starfleet calls it the Picard maneuver it's one of the most famous maneuvers in the the the, the universe's history so that's like gotcha. key, this is keys this is his Picard maneuver um and he just outclasses the covenant battle group and so Suddenly, the UNSC is like, whoa, 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 whoa. We can fight these guys if we just play smart. And so the UNSC, thanks to Keys, starts adopting more unorthodox strategies. And they're like, I mean, if if Keys can do this with one ship, imagine what we could do with a fleet and a crazy plan. Yeah. So, like, that, that, that is maybe my favorite part in the whole book. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you, you, Ross, you can take it from here. <laughs> um, so after that, um, on, so that's going, that's going on in orbit around Sigma Octanus four on the ground. Um, Marines are not doing well. Um, but, uh, Spartan, te- three Spartan teams are sent to the ground to kind of take back, uh, the city of, uh, Cote d'Azur with a nuke, um, and once they get there, well, first of all, they discover another covenant race, which they would call engineers, which are big floating balloon sacks with tentacles. They were that, introduced uh, in the games in ODST. For anybody who wants to visualize it, um, they were mm-hmm. in ODST. Yeah, yeah, and and so the Spartans are sitting by and just watching it, and I think it it floated over to a car, completely disassembled it and reassembled it in like a few seconds. Like they're the tech support of the covenant, basically. They um, are the geek squad. So they are the geek squad, but way more but efficient. actually work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so green and red teams uh, end up escorting civilians to a landing zone, while blue team, which for now and forever will be John's team pretty much. Um, can this time since Sam is no longer there, it's consisting of John, Kelly, Fred, and James zero zero five. I like James too. Um, they enter a museum cause there's some sort of beacon coming from there. Um, so there's a museum and then they find another covenant species, which they would eventually come to be known as hunters, which are in the, the which are in the games, the big hulking guys with the shield and the cannon on grafted onto the arm. Yo, um, there's one other cool which, part here that I don't think this talks about. Um, mm-hmm. When they fight the hunters, one of them gets yeah. a direct hit on James and takes his fucking arm off. Yeah. And then later, though, when they're fighting it, they think James is gone. He comes out of nowhere and shoulder charges a hunter like down from the third floor and just takes him out just out of nowhere. He comes sprinting, shoulder charge, boom, hunter is done. Fucking love James. Yeah. What a boss. James is cool. 
James dies. Yeah. Um, anyway, before we get there. Um, before that's we not get this there. book, though, is it? No, that's... Uh, um, is that... I thought it was. No, no. He's around in... I think it's First Strike. Is he? That's what he gets... Yeah, when they go back to Reach. I haven't read First Strike in so long. Okay. Oh, Never mind. Hey! Shit, man! <laughs> he should have been Spartan 007, honestly. Because yeah, he's, he's 005. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, the Spartans are able to um, kind of redirect the scan to a stealth ship. Um, or, the, no, they find out that the scanning is going to a stealth ship, which was discovered by Keys. Um, after the location was discovered by Keys afterward. Um, and then uh, the Spartans killed the Hunters, took the Rock, got to the LZ, where they blew up the nuke and eliminated the Covenant uh, in the area. Um, I don't remember, but part of me wants to say that once Keys found the location of the stealth ship, he just charged and rammed the stealth ship because it was small and blew it I up. I feel like that's what but happened because it, he, he suffered... So as this is happening, as they're on the ground... The UNSC is fighting an air, uh, a space battle. Uh, they're, they're, yeah. They have reunited with the rest of the fleet. They're all there, and they have an admiral leading them. And Keys is kind of like, Keys is at this point like the admiral is like having drinks with him, and he's like, "I need you, Keys." I think he promotes him to captain at this point. So I think Keys is an acting captain, but it's, they're fighting. They're I, I they're fighting. I, I, sorry, I. I don't think he is because isn't he still Commander Keys in Halo? Well, no, right here. The the scan transmitted to a stealth ship discovered and destroyed by Captain Keys. Oh, because he was referred Keys, to yeah, as yeah, Commander. Yeah. Jacob Keys is promoted right, to right, Commander. Right. Now he's Captain. So it's a field right, promotion. Right. Um, yes. Yes. by the Admiral because he can't believe because he destroyed a Covenant battle group, Ross. You deserve yes. a promotion. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's the least they it's can true. do. So he gets promoted to Captain. They're fighting this battle. I think this is the battle where they use the repair platform to create the shield. So the Admiral, um, yeah, inspired so. by Captain Keys, while they're fighting in space, they have this massive hulking repair platform. Just this big, just sheet of titanium. And they basically position it between the Covenant fleet and the UNSC fleet. And they just kind of roll it across so it absorbs their initial plasma volleys because it's thick enough. It eventually gets completely destroyed. But it lasts long enough that it goes by and it blankets the fleet takes all the initial shots, and as soon as it passes, they just start laying waste with the MAC cannons. Mm -hmm. It was great. And then they, they effectively win that fight, uh, but the Iroquois is damaged from the, the successive fights. What happens is they leave the system, because they're like, okay, this system's going to be lost, they're going to glass it, there's more ships coming, let's cut our losses and get out of here. But the Covenant placed a tracker on the Iroquois which is Keys' ship. No Covenant presence, they jump to Reach. Yes. And the Covenant the military stronghold are tracking... Yeah, that, this is their... This is, this is, like, it's more defended than Earth. Because this is where, yeah. like, most of their shipyards are. Like, Reach is humanity's... This is a fortress. It's got these orbital Mac guns. Like, this thing in any other circumstance, is impenetrable. But the Covenant found it. Yeah. And that's bad. Yeah. So, um, after that, at this point, most of the outer colonies have been 
kind of taken over or compromised in one way or another. At this point, a lot of the inner colonies have been destroyed by the Covenant. Um, so Oni decides that kind of as a Hail Mary, they try to capture one of the leaders of the Covenant by having the Spartans board one of their ships. Um, yeah, so the, the and... idea is get one of their ships, use it to get back undetected effectively to their home world, wherever that is, capture their leader, bring them back to human-controlled space, and negotiate a truce. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then as part of this, um, Master Chief is given an AI to put Aren't in his helmet. Aren't all the helmets. Spartans given AIs? Uh, the plan was originally to have AIs in all Mjolnir armor units, but the development wasn't far along enough to where they had that. Cortana was the only okay. one at this point. And now... Cortana um, is special, though. I feel like we need to take at least a minute to kind of address what's special about Cortana, because um, this yeah. does kind of gloss over it. So Cortana is not a traditionally built artificial intelligence. They like all of these. She is a smart AI, but rather than being created like based on you know intelligence and things like that, Halsey does a brain scan of herself and uses her mental, you know capacity to clone brain. Yeah, she clones her brain, clone brain to make cortana Cort and it's the first it's the first of their kind because there are dumb ais and smart ais dumb ais are the kinds like i believe deja who was the yes. teacher of the spartans um smart ais generally are uh based off of uh, a human's brain but they are dead at that point, this is the only one to ever have been made off of someone who is still living. Because it was a dangerous procedure. It was a risk to do yeah. it. Um, so mm -hmm. she makes Cortana, and then kind of Cortana has her pick of the Spartans. And it goes into like this kind of weird thing, but like it's also kind of really cool. Cortana's looking through all the Spartan files, but she gets drawn to John. And, you know, she kind of references him, you know, he's handsome in kind of a ruggish way. You know, he's not the best Spartan. He's not the fastest or the strongest or the smartest. And she's like, but there's something about him. Like, look, she looks at all of his reward awards, his, his service record. And she's like, there's something about this one that's special. And Halsey's kind of thinking like, you know what? I guess I think some of these same things about them. Um, and especially John, like John is her favorite. She's not supposed to have favorites, but John is her favorite. And Cortana, being, you know, a, a copy of her, is also drawn to him. So Cortana chooses John of all the Spartans. She chooses yep. the Master Chief mm -hmm. to be his AI. So once she's installed in John's armor, they put him through a, a test um, with her to kind of get used to it, all using live rounds. And one he's designed uh, to fail. They don't want yeah. him to win this test. Yeah, so he g gets through a minefield, destroys chain guns. It culminates with him backhanding a missile shot at him from a pelican, I believe. Yeah, um, it's so cool. <laughs> it's just so... Like, this is the stuff that the games can never properly convey, is just how mm. amazing the Spartans are. Yeah, and so... All of this was authorized by a colonel named Colonel Ackerson. And one of my favorite parts is that Cortana realizes that this whole test was a bunch of BS and was unfair from the beginning. So to get back at him, <laughs> she 
uh, arranges for a large amount of hit the colonel's private funds to be sent to a brothel and forges a request to be resigned from frontline duty, <laughs> which is still really funny. Yeah, Cortana, like uh, she at first she's kind of, she's she is playfully chaotic, um, mm, and she chaotic yeah neutral. she Halsey tells her not to do things and Cortana does them anyway, but she also is mm. kind of protective of her Spartan because remember she chose him. So nobody's going to mess with him. So kind of like that maternal instinct that they kind of, that Halsey kind of has for her children, her Spartans, because uh, they kind of look up to her as like kind of their mom. Uh, that kind of kicks in with Cortana. And she's like, not my kid, not my, not my boy. Nuh-uh. <laughs> she's just like, you're mm. done, son. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then after that, um, all Spartan twos board uh, Captain Keys's new ship. The Pillar of Autumn. Now, this is actually an old ship that they retrofitted. So this is an older class frigate that they kind of, they, 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 it was too small for a modern Mac gun. So they have this special Mac gun that can fire like three consecutive shots that effectively does, it, it's actually stronger if it hits all three than one single Mac gun, but it's, um, it, it's a weird thing, but the thing is loaded with plating like this thing can take covenant this thing can shrug plasma a couple times and it can just be like eh, whatever i can take another one you know so like yeah. this ship is designed like to survive a one-on-one -on -one encounter with a covenant ship but they yeah. can't do it for all yeah. their ships you know this thing this thing right. was actually damaged we find out later in halo wars this was at uh what was the planet in that one um, that they protect, uh, like where the entire game. Takes well, the place? planet where like they end up on, because the Pillar of Autumn was fighting the Covenant cruiser in orbit. Right. So it, it, uh, in Halo Wars, the Spirit of Fire shows up to a planet, and it's where a lot of the game takes place. And Pillar of Autumn was damaged in that encounter, but it was salvageable. So they took it back and they retrofitted it for this mission. So that that's all happening around the same time that this is all happening. Arcadia. Arcadia, yes. So it gets damaged in the battle for Arcadia and then gets retrofitted and given to Keys because the Iroquois is crippled. Um and Keys is now in charge of the Spartans effectively. Yeah, so they're basically starting making the slip space slip space jump to start this mission for them to get to capture one of the covenant leaders. But uh, so as they were doing this, um, since they're, um, since they're at reach, um, before they make the jump, we're going to have to move through this a 300 really quick. Uh, yeah, I know. Minutes. I know. I was, uh, <laughs> I was trying to, I was trying to push us along. I know. It, there's um, a lot to talk about though. I'm sorry. I know. I know. Um, fleet of 315 covenant ships enters the system. That is to date um, the largest fleet they've ever seen. By far, by far. Um, so the Pillar of Autumn starts to go back toward Reach, but uh, the Chief um, basically wins keys over in allowing the Spartans to continue the mission to try and capture uh, uh, a Covenant leader by finding a damaged ship where the, the shield... I believe there was one already disabled in the fight. It might have gotten yeah, hit by yeah, the orbital right. guns. So 
one important thing, and I don't want to get too much into it, is while they're fighting in space and they're trying to hold these down, the Mac cannons, these massive Mac guns, that they can punch through multiple Covenant carriers. Like this thing can take out a Covenant cruiser, which is the biggest ship they have. Supermax. Supermax. They're what you saw at the beginning of Halo 2. And mm -hmm. the controls are on the surface of Reach. So the Covenant are kind of sacrificing ships to get smaller ships out to get to the surface. So they're invading Reach to get to these guns to disable them on the surface. Because the Covenant know they can win the ground battle as long as they don't have Spartans. So they kind of have to split their bets here. And they kind of have to be like, hey, we got to take this cruiser, but we got to protect Reach for as long as we can. So they do split the Spartans mm. and some of them go surface, some of them stay space. I'm sorry, I was leaving that open for you to continue. I apologize. Oh, you were you were cutting out for a split oh, second. Oh no, that's fine. I um, did, didn't did not hear where I, I ended that they split it up. So some of the some of the Spartans did go ground side to defend some of the orbital guns, and the others stayed space side. Yeah, most of the Spartans went ground side because there were multiple generators that they needed to protect to keep. Because once the Supermax are gone, the the fleet is holding on the edge of their firing range, mm -hmm. and once they're gone, Reach is gone. It's over. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, uh, John ends up taking Linda and James. James does die in this book. Oh, he does. We'll get to it. Damn. He does. Oh, um, I was thinking of someone else. They, oh, no. My other favorite. <laughs> they have to, they have to go, they're going to deal with this disabled Covenant ship. Um, so they, cr John crash lands a Pelican on Gamma Station where the ship is docked, uh, and uh, there's a Covenant attack force there, including elites. Now, mind you, also, um, which, um, this area has not wiped their nav data. So this installation mm -hmm. where they're also going, I think they, they they split it also this way because this installation still has all of its nav data. So they didn't, weren't able to purge it before the Covenant got there because it was such a surprise attack. So all of the information that the Covenant are looking for is on that station. Yes, and and it was my mistake earlier. The circumference is a UNSC ship with the nav data, which they're going to try and, and destroy. And Keys gave them an ultimatum and said, "You have, you can try and do it. Otherwise, I'm going to nuke it, whether you're on there or not." Yeah, yeah. So, so they land on Gamma Station, where the ship is docked with the nav data. There are elites there, which are the kind of iconic, most iconic enemy of the Halo franchise. And my, my, my favorites. Um, and and then for the second time in this book. One of Chris's favorites dies. Oh, James no, Thruster Pack is hit by a needler shard and explodes, sending him uncontrollably into space. Yeah. And he is the second Spartan to be listed MIA. Yeah. Um, we, we do get a small consolation, though, because as John and Linda enter the, cir the circumference, uh, we do see Sergeant Johnson, Jenkins, and Vicente. Let's go. There we go. Three of the best, three um, of the best Marines this side of Reach. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with John and Linda, uh, John and Linda's help, the Marines successfully wiped the nav data, but Linda does end up getting shot by five separate plasma blasts. I forgot it was five. Oh yeah, she That's got messed lot. up. Yeah, she got messed up real bad. Um, so uh, the rest of the humans um, get back to the Pillar of Autumn. Linda is pronounced or is announced clinically dead because of the wound she receives, but is placed in a cryotube um, to hope, hopefully, be able to be brought back one day. Um, the surface is completely yeah. So at this point, reach. the space battle is lost. The Covenant have taken out enough of the Supermax that 
they can just overwhelm the fleet. The fleet is outgunned. The, the remaining Supermax can't do enough, so they're just kind of taking out the Max the old-fashioned way. They're just shooting at them now because they don't have enough coverage. There's holes in the defenses, and the Spartans on the ground are effectively lost. Like, most of them are on the ground. Like, I think Fred is down there. Like, other guys, like mm -hmm. Will is down there. They are they are abandoned at this point. Reach is abandoned. Anybody who can get out is supposed to get out. Reach is lost. This is the yeah. fall of Reach. The titular fall of Reach. <laughs> yes. So um, the rest of the ships for the UNSC are destroyed, except for the Pillar of Autumn. Um, so Chief is back on the ship. Um, Cortana starts to plan the randomized jump as per the Cole Protocol. Um, but it's not apparently completely random. Um, so earlier that signal that was, uh, shooting up to the stealth ship that the UNSC intercepted, um, Cortana found some alien glyphs in that that weren't any known covenant symbols, so it was a separate alien species. So, I guess this entire time she's been analyzing and trying to decrypt them. Um, she discovered that they were actually star charts, kind of coordinates, um, and it led the Pillar of Autumn to what the Covenant had been searching for. I, I love I love when they did this at the end of the Fall of Reach, like that final cutscene. Mm. It's like, we made a blind jump. <laughs> it's just the yeah. beginning of Halo 1. Uh, so anybody who's played, this leads us right into Halo 1. This opening sequence is the events immediately following the jump from Reach. With them getting to Halo is right after Reach was destroyed. This is their jump yeah. from Reach to the Halo ring. And then when they wake up Chief, who's in cryo and things like that, um, it's actually really cool because in the other cryo bay in Halo 1, that's where Linda is. And in the remaster, as much as I don't like some of the visual changes, you can actually see her mm. ID on the display there. Yeah, which is uh, cool. But yeah, so um, they jump, they find Halo, and Halo as we know it begins. Yes, and that is... Halo, The Fall of Reach. This book, it's um, like, and, and we, we can't possibly in an hour and a half do this book the justice it deserves. Like, we could do two podcasts just going into every detail about everything. Mm -hmm. um, but man, this book, like, as a book, is just incredible. I've read some good books. As much as I say I don't like reading, I've read some good books in my time. Um, and this is, like, even, even if it wasn't, like, just because I love Halo, like, I love this book. For the stuff that has nothing yeah. to do with the stuff I like about Halo. Like the 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 how keys evolves, the the keys loop, like things like that are so cool. And these are things you would not get from the game ever. Mm. Like this yeah. th this is this book is what solidified Halo as my favorite universe in video games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so yeah, it's it leads perfectly into the first game. Um and then the next book that we'll be covering is The Flood. Yeah, so Halo, The Flood uh, by, I believe it was, was it Carl? William, William Dietz. Um, which is just the back of the book summary. It basically takes place during Halo 1 from the rest of the UNS. It, is there a Covenant perspective in there? There might or be a little bit of Covenant perspective, but primarily it goes over a chunk of the Chief's journey. Like as you saw mm -hmm. in the game. But it also has different perspectives from Marines, from Command, uh, like different people. Like there's a scene where like yeah. a, 
we'll get into it. I don't want to get into that book right now. Yeah. So, so while so while Chief is going off, um, doing his thing in Halo the Run, you get to see what the rest of the UNSC who landed on. Like the we get a lot doing, more which... details about the events that took place when Keys inadvertently discovered the flood. It's an underrated it is, book. It is. People it write is it underrated. off. It's it's a good book. There there is a there is enough there outside of what's just told from the game that it is worth a read. Mm. I'm really I'm I'm not yeah. I'm not saying I'm not looking forward to this next book, but I'm really looking forward to the one that comes after this one because I haven't read it in a yeah. long time and I remember really liking it. But um, yeah. So Halo um, the Flood. So yeah. Grab that. Um, maybe I'll link that whenever we get it. I'll, I'll link that too. I'll link yeah. our next book and the book yeah, we just read. <laughs> yeah. So uh, book club. Uh, we record the. It's posted on the first Sunday of every month. So, Halo the Flood will go up on April so 7th. That's your due date. Uh, have it read by then. That's, that's your due date. Yep. And uh, we'll be right back here. And afterwards, uh, we might even do some Q&A at uh, Chris's Twitch, twitch.tv slash NightmareCV. If you read the book and have any questions or just want to talk about it, uh, we'll be there for a little while after we record the podcast, uh, which is we record it on generally Saturday. Yeah, so the podcast will um, go live. And then on we'll send out yeah, a tweet. on Sunday you can follow me half gen underscore Chris and uh, or you could follow Ross I don't remember what his is anymore. Rolando ninety one and uh, we'll, um, go, we'll go from there. Yeah, yeah, man, I'm I'm excited to keep going and I'm excited to get to the books in this franchise that I've read that you haven't that I think yeah, are yeah there's a lot of so. book. we're gonna listen the first several books will probably be Halo but I plan to take some breaks in the middle because I don't just want this to be a mm-hmm. Halo book club <laughs> like we'll we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll sprinkle in other things along the way like maybe fit in a couple other trilogies or something um, but you know as you guys probably know if you listen to our other podcasts uh, we are big big Halo fans yeah so um until next time uh read halo the flood and we'll talk about it next month i'm looking forward to it thanks ross yep thanks chris take it easy guys